And good morning. Welcome to the house of the Lord. Those of you joining us online, good morning to you. We are still in Paul's letter to the Romans, chapter 3, this morning. And we'll stand and take verses 10 and 11 in our reading and get the entire paragraph, hopefully. So if you have your Bibles, Romans chapter 3, verses 10 and 11, please stand for the reading of God's Word. What then? Are we better than they? Not at all. For we have previously charged both Jews and Greeks that they are all under sin, as it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. Please be seated. I said verse 11, but that's good enough. <laughs> Even without context, it, it's enough said there to understand what's, what the point is. Sin and people is the title of this morning's consideration. And God does not want to leave us somber. He wants to have us sober. There are times when we are somber, and there are times we have reason to be. We can also overdo that. I'd rather be sober-minded than somber. And when it comes to sin, uh, having your head together really helps. These things were pressing on Paul when he wrote this letter to the Romans, the things concerning sin and salvation and faith and he starts off, I'm repeating myself on purpose from previous sessions, he starts off getting right to the point that people are dirty before a clean God. But that's not the whole story. We're not going to get to the good news until we get to the next paragraph, then it begins, he begins to come out of the clouds. But right now, he is still hammering sin. That's what it takes. He has anticipated objections, mainly from the Jews, concerning the Gentiles and salvation. Now, maybe as we've been going through the book of Acts and, and beginning in Romans, and you've been hearing me tell you from the scriptures, hopefully, that the Jews were not doing their job as a people with the scriptures. They were not taking it to the Gentiles. We're getting this in, in Isaiah on Wednesdays. Well, where else in scripture is this pronounced? Where in the Jewish writings are we clearly told that they had a problem taking the gospel, or, or the Old Testament gospel of Yahweh to Gentiles? The book of Jonah. The entire book is about that. God doesn't have to repeat it. He's made his point in four chapters. One of my favorite books. A hard-headed prophet, a loving God, a sinful people, salvation. It is a beautiful book. Jonah would not have cared less about the Gentiles. But Paul, his heart is for them. Heathen, Hebrew, hypocrite. He wants them all to understand they are guilty of crimes against God, but God wants to forgive them and give them mercy, and it is packed into this letter. Sin is not man's friend. It is the flesh, the flesh, that carnal nature, the natural man, those things about us without God. Well, that, that part of us loves sin. But the spiritual man detested every step of the way. And it doesn't take long for sin to have us turn against God and then against each other. This is the story from Adam and Eve. 
When they sinned, they hid from God. And then when God confronted them, they threw each other under the bus. Everybody they could. Adam, it was the woman. I happen to agree. No. <laughs> he should have just said, I'm guilty. I am guilty. But no, he has to go after Eve. Well, Eve, she throws Satan under the... Well, he deserved to be there and backed over a few times. But, but the right answer was, I have sinned. But she said, it was that serpent. He deceived me. This is what sin does to us. It turns us against God and against each other. And this is why it is harmful. Sin is not partial. It is not racist. It gives equal opportunity to all to go to hell. And this is why the prophet, I won't say it was uh, grating, grating on him. I will say he was, uh, it was pressing on him. There were people in Rome and they needed to hear these things. And this has been the case to this very day. We need to hear these things. So now we look at the first verse as he continues dealing with sin in people. Um, one more point I want to make. You know, if the pastor makes strong points about sinful behavior amongst churchgoers, most of the time everybody's on board with that until it's their turn to be wrong. Until they're doing that sin. Now is a problem. And it shouldn't be that way. Verse 9, what then? Are we better than they? Not at all. For we have previously charged both Jews and Greeks that they are all under sin. Well, he's anticipating objections to his statement in Romans 3, verse 1. What advantage has the Jew? Or what is the profit of circumcision? What's the point in having Scripture and all the things that go with it? That is where he's picking up. What then? Are we better than they? So he does acknowledge that they have the advantage, as the Jewish people go, of having the Scriptures and the covenants. But this advantage does not exempt them from God's judgment on their personal behavior. And uh, it's one thing that irritated a lot of these Jews at this time is that Paul was saying, hey, the Gentiles can be right with God without the Sabbath, without the diet, without the circumcision. And so what, huh? They get in, they don't have to do all those things. <laughs> they didn't process it like that. They had those rights too high up. But that's what it came down to. You don't have to do any of those things. You eat whatever you want. You don't have to go through the rite of circumcision physically. Spiritually, you do. And um, don't worry about the Sabbath. You just need to worship the Lord. That doesn't mean you don't come apart and rest. Because if you don't come apart and rest, Jesus taught, you will come apart. So, Paul makes the point that the Jews have the advantage from receiving promises of God in verse 2. But that in verses 5 and 6 of Romans 3, that advantage does not prevent God from judging them for their crimes against God and people. And then verses 9 through 20, which we're looking at this morning, he points out to both Jew and Gentile that everybody is sinful, equally so. And then we'll get to this next session, Lord willing, that God provides salvation apart from the law of ritual the law of grace in Jesus Christ. Are we then, he says here in verse 1, are we better than they? Not at all. 
Said again that Jonah mindset. Jonah, we're better than them. They don't deserve salvation. They deserve to go to hell. So with the question and answer, he's exposing the hearts. He knows he's hitting. If he's not hitting some of the Jewish Christians in the audience, he's getting their family members who are not in the audience or in their community. The saved are no better than the lost, but we are better off. And it is because of Scripture that we are better off. That is his point. Jonah was fine with the slaughter of the Ninevites. Jonah 4, God's dealing with Jonah instead of smiting him. He's so gentle with this mean prophet who, who he recovered. He comes out of it, but listen to what God says to him. Should I not pity Nineveh, that great city in which are more than 120,000 persons who cannot discern between their right hand and their left and much livestock? You want me to wipe them out, Jonah? I don't want to kill everybody. I don't want to even kill the animals in the city. You know, those who crucified the Lord were made up of two types of people. One who had Bibles and the other who did not. The Jews had the scriptures. It was the religious leaders who boasted in the scriptures that crucified their Messiah. It was the Roman authority that did not have the scripture that crucified the Savior, creator of the world. This should be eye-opening to us. Those who loved the Lord were another type of people present. And they loved the Lord because they had the scriptures. There's no other way to do it. So it comes down to what do you do with what God has said. You are either in a knife fight against sin your entire life, to the glory of God, looking to love people, to save people, to be useful to God, to bring glory to Him, or you are not. I think everything about that is fair, and I think everything about that is difficult. It won't be when I get to heaven, but right now it's the sweat of the brow for everything. Nothing yields itself easily and permanently in this life. Judas and Peter both sinned. But Peter came back. That is the difference. Peter came back and he received the grace of God. And Judas did not come back. He went to his own place, we're told in the Bible. Colossians 1. And you, who were once alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now he has reconciled you. There he's really going at the Gentiles in the Colossian letter. The Jews do. It applies it's equal... Uh, you know, sin is equal opportunity. Well, so is salvation for those who come. Opportunity. For we have previously, he says here in verse 9, charged both Jews and Greeks that they are all under sin. The we there, for we being the Christians, the antecedent is in verse 8. He's talking about the message that we're preaching. Now, most people outside of Christ will consent to personal imperfection but are reluctant to own the guilt of sin against God. I'm not perfect, they'll tell you. Yeah, what about your sin? Let's change the subject. The subtle thing, is it not, to go from imperfection, because that's a people thing. We're all imperfect. But sin, now God is in the equation. 
And man would rather hide from God, as did Adam and Eve when they first sinned, hiding out in the garden. Adam, where are you? Most, again, will consent to imperfection, downplaying the ensuing judgment, the judgment to come, as he reasoned with him about self-control and sin and judgment to come. Felix, change the subject. I'll hear you another time when I got more time. He never did act on what he was being told by this man of God. As though he was going to survive death. You can survive death. The other side of death is what? Either the land of judgment or the land of joy. God says, don't die that way. Don't die by downplaying the ensuing judgment. Knowing, therefore, the judgment of God, we persuade all men. The judgment of the individual Jew and the judgment of the nation of Israel... They're two different things, but they're judgment nonetheless. Some Jews will go to heaven, some will go to hell. Some Gentiles, same thing. The inescapable debt of the individual man to an individual God, to a personal God, I'll put it that way, that debt has to be paid. Somebody's got to deal with sin. God is not going to hide the dirt. He's going to deal with it. An attending church will not in and of itself save a single soul. Belonging to Christ will. I wish I had time to read Ezekiel 33, verses 33. Because there he tells, God says, they're going to come to you. They want to say, ooh, you've got to come hear this guy preach. They don't care what he's saying, though. They're not going to do any of it. Paul matches that in 2 Timothy. The time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. But according to their own desires... Because they have itching ears. They will heap up for themselves teachers. They'll shop around for a pastor that will say the things they like. That is not uh, preaching the word of God. That is, that is making oneself a fool for men. Much to say about that. But I've been saying other things about that for 30 years. Trying to find some new, fresh ways to say the same thing. So you won't know that I'm saying the same thing. Think, boy, that was deep. <laughs> anyway, verse 10. As it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. Now, he's using the Old Testament. And by doing so, he is declaring that the Old Testament got it right and is not obsolete in its charges against sin and its holding up of righteousness. More than 14 times in this little paragraph, he's quoting scripture. He's saying that I'm not making this up. This is, I'm not, you know, you know, this Christianity did not originate with people. It comes from God. All the other religions of the world, their origin is a human being. Islam. Oh, they tout Muhammad. It all comes from him. Christianity was 66 different Documents compiled into a single book. These are different people over thousands of years, all moving in the same direction, all rowing the same way. You cannot say, well, a man wrote the Bible. No, there were many men who scribed it. God is the author and the finisher, and you don't have a better plan.
You don't have to take, we don't have to take the lies and the stupidity of Satan that he gushes out of unbelievers in their charge against the Christ. They are wrong, and they are wrong to death. And we are not friends with wrong beliefs. We can be, certainly, uh, we are to be kind and hospitable and uh, blameless before the Lord and men. We're not looking to be enemies of lost people. We want to reach them. Now, some, of course, are so far out there, there's nothing you can do. But mostly in a civilized environment, hostilities are not necessary uh, from the Christian. We are unrighteous, and without Christ, that's how we will stay. But with Christ, we will, he will give that righteousness to us. This is Psalm 14 that he is quoting here in verse 10. Now, some Jews objected to the claims um, uh, and that the Gentiles were of equal standing. I, I covered that. And so that's why he's taking them to their own Bible. And we're all guilty. You too. You Jewish believers with Scripture. You claim to love God, and maybe you do. But you're guilty as a sinner, nonetheless. And that is what the temple in the wilderness, when the Jew woke up, when the Jews were in, in the wilderness and the temple was up and running, and that morning sacrifice that you could smell out in the wilderness, you knew something was cooking. Your sin was cooking. That animal should have been you. The innocent animal didn't do anything to be slain for Adam and Eve to have their nudity covered. The guilt is on the man. God has made a way. And so Paul affirms that the Old Testament already says what it needs to say about human behavior before God, and our fallen nature makes it impossible to always obey God. Ecclesiastes 7, verse 24, There is not a just man on earth who does good and does not sin. Even the just sin. Even the good people, by people's standards, even by God's standards. Job was a good man by the standard of God. He boasted about him. None like him. He hates evil. He loves good. He's still a sinner. All of us are. And the Bible is stacked against the sins of man, against yours and mine. And so, what is our subject, this moral topic? People and sin. You know it like the back of your hand if you've been walking with Christ. But do you forget to point that out when given the chance? I wish that all Christians would pray for more opportunity to preach Christ, Christ to ignorant people. I mean ignorant people and comes to God's ways, not overall ignorant. Well, that too, we wouldn't want to leave them out. But uh, that's not how I meant it. John chapter 3, verse 7, Do you marvel that I said to you, you must be born again? Are you blown away by me telling you you're so messed up, we got to redo you? That's what that means. Standing before God, you're a train wreck. And if he doesn't get his hands on you, you're going to die that way. Regardless of what the human accomplishments you, you are able to achieve. To be righteous, one must overcome life in Christ. It must overcome living without Christ. I lived without him, and by the grace of God, that has been overcome. This offends the humanistic man because it reveals defects which they're unwilling to accept. I'm not so bad. Maybe you've heard that. 
I'm really not so bad. Oh, yeah, by who? Because according to who? So in verse 10, none are righteous, no, not one. In verse 11, no one understands. No one gets this. Not without Christ. Not without Yahweh in the Old Testament revealing it from his scripture or his prophets. In verse 11, he also says, none seek after God. And then in verse 12, he says, none who does good, no, not one. People and sin, that's what he's dealing with. Otherwise, who needs Christ? Who needs a gospel if I'm not so bad? It'll work out. Hell's packed with people that had that approach. Verse 11, there is none who understands. There is none who seeks after God. Again, quoting scripture. The disinterested in Christ are disinterested in God, and therefore they are lost. They don't believe that. Well, what are you going to do about that? Well, the first thing I can do is be ready. The first call of the Christian is not to preach the gospel. It's to know the gospel. Because what can you preach if you don't know what you're talking about? It'll be heresy. It'll be lies and falsities. To learn the scripture, then to be used. That God would flow through me. That his love would throw, flow through me according to truth. With God, truth comes first, then love. Because what love could there be without truth? It'd be a flawed love. First Corinthians, the natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God. Why not? They're foolishness to him. Nor can he know them. Because they're spiritually discerned. Well, how do I get that spiritual discernment? Well, you must be born again. How do you get people to be interested in their lost state? I wish, I wish it was simple enough to just say, well, I'll give you five, five points to do that, or one, or two. But it's a lot of work. Just be ready. That's the advice I, I would give, because, uh, you know, you can have a wonderful chance to share the Christ with somebody, and they remain non-responsive to their own detriment. Ecclesiastes 3.15, God requires an account of what is past. That's what we teach. Every idle word of man will be dealt with. Well, it's either going to be dealt with with the blood of Christ or it's going to be dealt with at the great white throne of judgment and by then it will be too late. The choice is yours. Christless man is unreasonable in his attitudes toward God. He doesn't understand that human intellect must be enlightened by God. We have the age of enlightenment. And it's, you know, the man coming out of the dark ages. Oblivious to what God is doing in, many, in most of it. When Jesus walked on the road to Emmaus with the two disciples, he opened their understanding. They, were, they loved him. They were his people. And he still didn't get it. It's not enough to love him. He's got to open the understanding. And he breathed on them and said, receive you the spirit of God. These things have to happen, or else you haven't made much progress, if any. There is none who seeks after God. In the natural state, no one is, says, you know what, I'm going to start looking for God, unless God has already been working in them. John chapter 6, verse 44, no man can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. He didn't say captures him. He says draw him. Uh, I believe no one comes to a Bible teaching church 
unless God is drawing them. Even if they're obnoxious and it doesn't do anything with God, drew them and gave them a chance. I also believe no one goes to an anti-Bible, I don't want to use the word church, assembly in the name of Christ without the devil drawing them. The devil draws people, come to this church, the Bible's not here. You'll love this. Well, we use a snippet here too, like parsley on a plate, but come here. Adam and Eve hid from God after their sin, and God sought them, and that's what Jesus is even pointing. That includes in his statement, no one comes to me unless the Father draws him. So, you know, what do, wait a minute, what do you mean coming to you? Are you God? Yeah, as a matter of fact. When someone says, well, Jesus never said he's God, he didn't verbalize it according to your script. But the fact remains, he said it. The vox and the verba, well, that's a different way. I won't go there, but I will go here. If um, I could hint that I'm going to give you money, and you'd get the hint. Uh, And God does, the, the difficulty of him coming out and saying it, in a um, society where one God, that's what the Jews believed, one God. And it would have been difficult for him to say, I also am God. See, it's just not that easy. And so he packaged it in such a way, if you were listening to the Spirit, uh, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says, you'd get it. And the apostles got it. You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. He didn't say, you are the Christ, the son of Joseph, the son of, a li- of the living God. Uh, my son is human. His son is human. God's only begotten son is divine. Well, um, God, of course, gives time to get this fixed. And the fiasco of the fig leaf, <laughs> the fig leaf fiasco. Was there time between their eating the fruit and God engaging them? Yeah, because they had time to sow these fig leaves. They had to go out and get the fig leaves and come up with a way. Oh, that doesn't work. In fact, it's a color clash now we've got. You can't wear that leaf. So there was a little space of time there before God shows up. As he says in the book of Revelation, I gave them space to repent. That is something that we need to tell people. You get space, but today is the day if you harden not your heart. God calls to many, but many do not receive, and some do not continue. Jesus, giving the parable of the sower, said, and some fell on the stony ground. These are they who believed, but did not continue, quote, unquote. They believed, but they did not continue. Stick that in your doctrine. Go with what the Bible says, not with what men say about the Bible. So we give you the verses as often as we can. We encourage you to bring your Bibles, to take notes, to be like the Bereans who had noble minds, to search the scriptures, to see if these things are doctrinal. No, to see if they are so. And Jesus said, you'll know my doctrine. And that's what we want. Well, uh, human choice, powerful powerful thing we possess in the, in, in the face of God. We can defy him or we can worship him. Jesus said, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the one that kills the prophet, stones those who are sent to her. How often I wanted to gather your children together as a hen gathers her brood, 
but you were not willing. Is that not powerful? I wanted, you did not. I chose to come to you, you chose to resist me. Now, that wasn't every, the, every person, but overall, that was the story. And so human choice is powerful. Psalm 119, verse 155. Salvation is far from the wicked, for they do not seek your statutes. When you say, I want to learn more about God, I want more scripture. You're saying, I want to seek his statutes, his commandments, his laws, whatever God has to say. I want to know not only what he said, but what it means and how it applies. And I want to do it. Well... God has provided the salvation that people ignore, and it's difficult to get them to understand. Salvation is not rigged. It is repeatedly offered. Make the choice. Make the move. Luke chapter 19, verse 10. The Son of Man has not come to seek, has come to seek and to save that which is lost. So man, back to the Garden of Eden. Adam, where are you? God seeking to save that which was lost. And so how can this be possible in view of the fact that there are so many false religions, so many pagans and idols. How is it that none are seeking God? What is Paul saying? Well, the Corinthian letter, he tells us another part of this. He says the things the Gentiles sacrifice, they sacrifice to demons and not to God. And I do not want you to have fellowship with demons. Yeah, people seek false gods. They seek religion. But are they seeking the true God? According to truth, because behind the false beliefs, there is a God. He is the God of this world, Satan, the devil. Now, especially for you young believers, believing your believers, for you young attendees, when you come across all these names of the false idols in the Bible, one thing you should come away with is that Satan has many brands of delusion for you. Various forms of idols from antiquity till now. You don't have to have a statue anymore. You can just make up things about God in your head. That's a brand of idolatry. And it comes out of hell. 2 Corinthians 4. But even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing, whose minds the God of this age is blinded, who do not believe lest the light of the gospel and the glory of Christ, who is in the image of God, pardon me, who is the image of God, should shine on them. There's power in mockery. Mockery is a useful tool. We have so much sarcasm from God in Scripture. Keep on, keep listening and not believing. Keep on, noodlehead. That, that's a mockery. Your religion is vain. You draw near me with your mouth, but your heart is far from me. In vain you worship me, teaching the doctrines of men. Well, there in 2 Corinthians, we, we're, what I just read, lest they see the light of the gospel. There's mockery in that. When it comes to the choice that is given, and it, that matters most to a human being, it needs to decide with God. John six twenty nine. Jesus answered and said to them, this is the work of God that you believe in him who he sent. Because there are those that tell you, well, you can't, you can't choose God because that's work. That's a work. Then you're earning yourself. Oh, wait a minute. Jesus just said, this is the work of God that you believe in him whom he has sent. 
So he says, I'll take that work. The work that you can do is believe God. You want to play with words? Fine. Have at it. The bottom line is, I have come. Are you willing? Man, I love preaching this stuff. Because I remember when I didn't have this. I remember when I didn't attend a church. And when God saved me, I said, Lord, I'll go to church if you make me the pastor. <laughs> of course not. <laughs> that's so stupid. Like, Lord, that's pretty funny, but I'm a kind of ashamed I even said it. I'm not, really. It makes the point. Anyway, <laughs> you know, we come up here, and I, I want to remember the things that, that which I first received, I, sh- I, I shared with you. I, I want to remember these points. And there's a pressure to doing that. And so I look for these little pit stops, and I just had one. So, verse 12, they have all turned aside. They have together become unprofitable. There is none who does good, no, not one. Now, again, this is humanity without Christ. Because when he says none seek God, well, he seeks God. None understand God, well, he understands because he's saved now. But before that uh, Damascus Road experience, he was in this group. He never forgot it, and neither should you. Man turning aside from God in his rejection. And uh, if he continues that way, he becomes irretrievable, unrecoverable. Um, and, and yet, this is, to me, a very powerful putting it to myself this way. One outlaw went to heaven that day. The other went to hell that day. You see, these are, it's immediate. Death is the great equalizer. It just flattens everything out. And the only thing that either is sticking up or hanging down is one's confession or one's rejection. Uh, you know, it's, it's more than metaphor. But metaphor nonetheless. The first animal named in the Bible was Leroy. No, it wasn't. It's another pit stop. The serpent is the first animal that is singled out. You know, God made the birds, he made the cattle. But then he's, he's, he comes to this reptile. It's the first one named. Well, what's the next one named? Sheep. Sheep are the next one. Sure, God, when he talks about Cain, the elder brother of Abel, he says Cain was a farmer. Well, he worked the field. But then he, right after that, he says Abel was a tender of sheep. The primary metaphor in the Bible for God's people is sheep. The pastor, the word pastor comes from the Latin. It means shepherd. The lesson lies not in what sheep do, but in what sheep lack. Okay, what do I lack before God as one of his sheep? Well, sheep is an animal not known to be smart, not known to be swift, not known to be strong, and not known to be safe. cannot protect itself. That's me. Before God, standing before God, I'm not smart. Nor am I swift and strong or safe without him. Sheep have no inclination nor power to seek the shepherd once they stray. When a sheep strays out the flock, he doesn't say, now where was I a minute ago? How do I get back? Not, he doesn't look back, just keeps going to his own destruction. This is another blow to evolution of the species theory. 
the theory uh, falls apart here. No sheep would survive without a shepherd. If evolution were true, there'd be no sheep. They all would have died. Well, it's evolving into further error, but as we move forward, all we like sheep have gone astray. We've followed our own paths. We'll be getting that in Isaiah 53, Lord willing, Wednesday. So the point that we're coming to, that I'm trying to make, is they have all turned aside, which is what sheep do if, if there's no shepherd. They have together become unprofitable, and there is none who does good, no, not one. And from God's perspective, we are like those sheep. But long as we stay under the, under the care of the shepherd... We are strong, we are swift, we are sensible, and we are safe. And there lies the lesson from the metaphor. They have together become unprofitable. Man in his natural state is depraved and really of little to no use to God whatsoever. Now, I'm going to develop that in a minute. There is none who does good, no, not one. Again, without God. Uh, okay, so you fix your neighbor's flat tire. How does God benefit from that? You don't have a car. Okay, you invent a cure for a dreaded disease. How does God benefit from that? He doesn't get sick. God has not benefited from what men do directly. But because of his love, it becomes an issue. Paul writes this to Titus. Not by works of righteousness, which we have done. That doesn't count. But according to his mercy, he saved us. Through the washing of regeneration and the renewing of the Holy Spirit. Okay, so now everything is spiritual. Everything I do in the physical has a spiritual value. Or I am in deficit. It matters how I treat my neighbor. It matters what I do for society. That I behave myself. For the good of others. It matters to God. But it doesn't make God better off directly. So this equation then cancels out any thought that man is okay without God. He's not. It's not about people. It's about the Creator. And if it's about the Creator, it will be about people. And if it will be about people, it will be about me. This is the order of the universe, how it should be. And when that falls apart, Angels are cast out of heaven and people are cast into the hell that was prepared for the angels cast out of heaven. The Bible tells us hell was not made for people. It was made for the fallen angels. But God says rather than start a new dump site, we'll just lump you all in together. I'm putting it in a language that maybe they'll understand. Verse 13, their throat is an open tomb. With their tongues they have practiced deceit. The poison of asp is under their lips. So, for Paul to be rattling off these scriptures, he must be giving segments of a sermon he's preached recently. He's got the verses there. These are probably points he was teaching in Corinth. and said the Romans will benefit from this too. And I guess if you, you know, if, you, if you, this is your vocation, you can see that. And that's why I pointed out. Now he comes to the wicked words of men. And he says their throat is an open grave. It's like a grave with the body in it just rotting. You fall in that thing. What an expressive way of depicting the corruption of so much human speech. With their tongues, they have practiced deceit. Well, the tongue is the outlet of the heart. 
Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speak, Jesus said. Jesus pointed out these things come from the heart. The adulteries, the, the stealing, the lying, all these things, they come out of the heart. You know, like the, the news media, they don't report the news, they invent it. They shape it for themselves. The poison of asp is under their tongue, killing their victims with that venomous character assassination. He's quoting Psalm 140, verses 2 and 3, incidentally. And you look at the New York Times, or MSNBC, or CNN, or CBS, or the Associated Press, Rolling Stone Magazine. We can just keep going. Look at Hamas, and you say, these serve Satan. Does it shock people to hear that the devil has family too? Because I just rattled off some of their addresses. Satan has his family too. But sin has so blinded man he can't see that he's living in the house of the devil. You know, if you marry a child of the devil, you're going to have Satan as a father-in-law. You think, look at it that way. That's pretty scary. How about this, Naboth? When Ahab wanted his field and wicked Jezebel said, I have a plan. She had a scheme. She found men who had tongues like serpents. First Kings, verse 13, the plan was get Naboth to come to this big event in the village. We'll make him the, the, the keynote or the, you know, the one everybody's coming for. And then we'll get him killed according to the scriptures. And two men, scoundrels, came in and sat before him. That's Naboth. And the scoundrels witnessed against him, against Naboth, in the presence of the people, saying, Naboth has blasphemed God, the king, and the king. Then they took him outside the city and stoned him with stones, so he died. And Naboth likely woke up in heaven. I'm glad to be here. And I with those two guys. Anyway, their throat is an open tomb with, tomb. with their tongues they have practiced deceit. The poison of asp is under their lips. And there's a biblical example. Verse 14, whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. He's, Psalm 10 there, he's quoting verse uh, 7 of Psalm 10. You know, so it's too bad a Christian will come up and say, why can't I just, you know, say anything I want to say to people? Well, they might punch you in the nose, one reason why. But the other reason why is God he, he doesn't want the coarse jesting. Everybody, if they're at the water cooler telling dirty jokes, you can tell them what I preached on Sunday. You say, okay, my turn. Equal time. I got to hear you blabber about all this stuff. Now you're going to get it. <laughs> uh, I chuckle, but that's what I used to do. And it was very successful. They either stopped talking dirty around me or they got the gospel. <laughs> Verse 15, their feet are swift to shed blood from words to violence. Always scanning for victims, these type. Psalm 36 is what he's quoting here, and it merits reading. And also Isaiah 59, 7. I won't take the time to read Isaiah, but I'll take the one in Psalm, Psalm 36, verse 4. Speaking of the wicked, he devises wickedness on his bed. He sets himself in a way not good. He does not abhor evil. Paul will say, abhor evil, cling to what is good when we get into the latter sections of Romans. But this character is on his bed scheming how he can hurt people for his own benefit. He does not hate evil. You, The Christian that is agonizing, am I saved? Well, I mean, the very question is you hate evil. You hate your sin. 
The one who's not saved will never ask that question. Only the saved people can, can fret over righteous things. We're not encouraged to fret. I think that's Psalm 37 is the fret psalm. Verse 16, destruction and misery are in their ways. If you've ever been around a dark person, a person that's evil, that they're just not right, you know they are. You can feel them scanning, looking for an opportunity to steal something, to do something wrong. Uh, it, it, is a, it is a bad feeling. Then you get around somebody good, and you, you, by contrast, it's stark. Anyway, the great swindle of sin is that the prodigal is unnecessary. The wasteful life. The prodigal is the wasteful one. He received his inheritance and he blew it on sin. And it is harmful. Mean people enjoying making other people miserable, even if for a moment. Is there right now listening to this a mean teen? Maybe there's a mean woman that's here. Maybe there's a mean man. You know, someone that causes other people misery just because or maybe there's a mean churchgoer. We're all susceptible to this. Now, someone might accuse you of being mean when you're not because you haven't met their standards. But, I mean, are, are you, someone is actively doing something to make you feel small or bad or hurt. There are a lot of people like this in the world. As a pastor, there's been times that I've people have walked away with parting shots in the cafe. And I can't say, oh, hey, what, do you, what did you say? You know, because everybody would look at me. That's the pastor? Yeah, it is. <laughs> I don't care that she's a lady. So what? She's 90. She shouldn't have said it. <laughs> You're going down, Grandma. So, but it has happened. For me. It hasn't happened a lot. But over the years, it's been, I, I can see their faces. I have their addresses. Like, see, that's why we don't know when the rapture is. Because I'd go over that house, get even, repent, and wait for the rapture. That's diabolical. Verse 17. And the way of peace is not, uh, they have not known. Uh, this is a free rendering of Isaiah 57. He's all over scripture again. So the face of hate and evil, personified in 1 Kings chapter 3, 26, the other woman. The one that lost her child and the other woman. That fine, cut the child in half. Neither one of us should. That, that mean. That's evil mean. And it is senseless. Some 75 million people died in World War II. Over 40 million of them civilians, non-combatants. They died through deliberate genocide, through massacre, mass bombings, disease, starvation, torture, battlefields, and not to mention those maimed. And between 1933 and 1945, 60%, 60% of the Jews in Nazi-dominated Europe were murdered. That's six million of them. In just that short period of time. Other peoples have experienced persecutions over centuries. And their numbers still don't stack up to just this short period of time. Atrocities of an enlightened, cultured, advanced nation. We're talking about the way of peace is not known by them. We're saying people sin. And the atrocities that... Nazi Germany and Imperial Japan put on people. These were cultured, enlightened, advanced nations. You see, Cain's religion was too refined to slay a lamb. He had no problem killing his brother. 
Where does that come from? Where does that illogic come from? The leftists that we see that run around their little doofus arguments, where does that stuff coming from? You can tell them, listen, you're not, you're not that smart to come up with such stupid stuff. This is a devil in you. And you can't see it because he's blinding you. And you won't listen to me. It hurts to see. You know, you raise a child, you love them, then they, they, they stray. Well, as a pastor, there are people that, as a teen, they love me. Right? <laughs> Amen. Then they go off to the university. And that's when they find out that, you know what, everybody here is smarter than him. Well, that might be, but they're not more anointed than me. They may be as, but they're not more. And that would be true of any Christian. Um, anyway, coming back to this, and the way, verse 17, of peace they have not known. Don't go boasting to me about humanity or mankind, because man is a sinner. And verse 18, there is no fear of God before their eyes. Well, that explains it all. That explains no comment necessary. No fear and no love of God, only defiance and hate. Verse 19, now we know that whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law, that every mouth may be stopped and all the world may become guilty before God. Well, because we don't have much time, I can just simply say Paul is saying the Bible called you out on this. And it's right. The scriptures have, have pointed out the defect, the major defect in humanity. And it is sin. You are exposed. And he, again, using 14 biblical statements in this passage uh, to back it up. Verse 20, Therefore, by the deeds of the law, no flesh will be justified in his sight, for the, by the law is the knowledge of sin. Now, the word for law, he's talking about the Bible, the Old Testament scriptures, its commandments, its statutes, its ordinances, all of it together. Um, we tend to get a little mixed up with that as Christians because, you know, we, law has many meanings to us, but how he's using it, he's saying the scripture has, has pointed these things out. Doing good pleases God, but it does not remove sin or the punishment that's coming because of sin. And sin makes men not only guilty before God, but unclean, which is why they're guilty. Job 14.4, Job asked this rhetorical question, Who can bring a clean thing out of an unclean? Well, then he answers it, but that's why it's rhetorical. No one. You need a Savior. You can't clean yourself up good enough to face God. And that's what we're trying to tell lost souls. The law shows man's case as hopeless, but it doesn't give a remedy. There's no remedy in the Old Testament for sin. There's just the covering of sin. And God was very forthright about that. The, the kofar, the coverings of sin. And not till Christ are sins taken away. Which explains why Abraham is in the underworld and now he's in heaven. His sins have been taken away and the Lord has set the captives free when he was crucified. And he gave up the spirit. Remember, he gave up the spirit because no man could kill him because of who he is. Galatians 2.20, almost done. I do not set aside the grace of God for if righteousness comes through the law, then Christ died for nothing. If righteousness comes through me earning salvation, then God is mean 
to have allowed his son to leave heaven to come here and to suffer that. But God is not mean. It is not vain. That's why when Jesus is in the garden, he said, if it is possible, let this cup pass. It couldn't pass. He knew that. It is written for our edification. The flesh hates to be little. It hates it. That's going to be proven when you drive out of here. The other guy doesn't want you going faster than them. Doesn't want you passing them. I know, because I get in the flesh when they do it. It's their fault. Because <laughs> my flesh doesn't want to be guilty. The flesh hates to be little. Van- vanity, that's what it's all about. Ephesians chapter 2. None of works lest anyone should boast. No one's going to brag on God. Man needs a Savior to deliver him from sin and not a reward for the little good that he does. Because people, some people think they're going to be rewarded by God for the little bit of good they do. No, you don't. Stop looking for a reward. Look for the Savior. That's your reward. My reward is with me, he said. For by the law is the knowledge of sin. Without God telling me, I wouldn't really know what offended God. But he has told me. Well, the only real world is the one the Bible describes. That's the only real world. Everything else is a lie without God. Up next, salvation for those who want it. So let's keep going until we get to Revelation. Let's pray. Our Father, it would be very difficult to talk about sin had we not a Savior. But we do have one. And he saves us from what sin has done. If you're here this morning, or you're watching online, and you've not opened your heart to Christ, you have an opportunity to do that. He is willing. What will you do? Will you do like so many and shove them away, file it away for later, excuse yourself? Or will you do like many others have done? Will you come running to the cross of Christ to be forgiven, to have your sin washed away? That recurrent cleansing that the blood of Christ gives to those who want to be under his lordship and to receive his salvation, which comes from nowhere else. If you would like Christ Jesus to be your savior, he's got to be your Lord. And for that to happen, you have got to confess that you are a sinner, that you have broken the rules of his kingdom. If you say, Lord Jesus, I am a sinner. I ask you to forgive me. There's no one else good enough, true enough, or powerful enough to take away my sin or to be offended by my sin. And I come to you and I ask for your pardon. I ask that from this day forward, I would be your child under your care, that I would pursue obedience and righteousness as given to me through your scripture. Now, Father, if anyone has made this prayer this morning, may they come and get it. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.